My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, I am so excited about today's episode and I can't wait to get into it and share it with you. But I just wanted to remind you before we get going today to visit expatmoneyshow.com and sign up for my private newsletter, EMS Pulse. Right now we are sharing the weekly episodes from the podcast, but also a ton of other products and services that we're gonna be offering, lots of language programs, lots of tips and tricks for being an expat, whether you're a first time expat or an expat hopeful. There's just so much going on at expatmoneyshow.com. I really hope that you get a chance to come and visit us, join the newsletter, and then from there, maybe join our Facebook group at expatmoneyforum.com. Lots happening. I really wanna share it with you guys and the best way to stay connected is through these two sites, expatmoneyshow.com and expatmoneyforum.com. Thanks so much, enjoy today's episode, cheers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today we have a really special guest with us. He's a friend of mine that I met while I was traveling through Korea, and he's from my home and native land, Canada. He runs the popular YouTube channel Books Takeaway and has interviewed some really incredible people like Dr. John Ratty, Brendan Turner, Andrew Hallam, and Chris Voss, who is just unbelievable. So please give a warm welcome to Ryan Lee. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So why don't you take a minute and just kind of tell everyone where you come from, your background, and what you're doing these days with Books Takeaway. So just as Mikhail said, I'm from Canada, specifically Toronto. And for myself right now, I'm currently living in South Korea, where I work as a teacher. But on the side, as you said, I've got my YouTube channel, and it's called Books Takeaway. And... Right now, I'm just trying to grow it by creating better content. I'm learning video editing, so I'm trying to make content a little bit better where it's just the meat as opposed to some of the raw footage that I used to do. So I'm just learning video editing so I can create better content for others out there. And can you tell us a little bit about what the YouTube channel is based around? Yeah, so basically I just read and review books. So they're all nonfiction books ranging from psychology, personal development, motivation, money, biographies, so on and so forth. And I'll read them and review them. And in my review, I'll talk about some things that you can learn from the books and whether they're worth checking out or whether you should spend your money on it. And more or less, I just talk about what the book is about. 
Ryan might be the only human being on earth who reads more than I do, so so I'm always impressed when I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. So I know that you started off by just doing reviews, and now you've moved really into interviewing the authors. How has that been so far? Yeah, it's been good. Trying to find the authors hasn't been as much of a challenge as I had thought. You know, so basically I'll just find their contact information, I'll email them and then say, hey, look, I have this YouTube channel where I review books. Can I interview you? So how are you finding their contact information? Because I know that can be challenging sometimes. They don't put out their personal contact information on the internet. Just Google. It's surprisingly, a lot of them have websites that maybe they've set up or they've hired someone to set up for them. And all of their contact information is on there. Maybe not their direct contact information, but maybe it's someone who they work with directly. Mm -hmm. And so I'll email that person and that person will say, yes, sure, why not? Or no, sorry, this person's busy. But more or less, in terms of the percent, I would say only about 20% of the requests follow through. Okay. So one out of every five that I email, they'll say, okay, sure. That's not bad. 20% is pretty good. Yeah, surprisingly. Surprisingly. That's excellent. I'm really excited hearing that because with the show, I'm really wanting to interview some authors as well. That gives me hope for sure. Who are some of the people on your dream list, the ones that you really want to interview at the moment? Oh, dream authors. Well, they would probably have to be like Robert Kiyosaki, Lewis Howes, or mm. Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone is one of my personal heroes. That guy is just so contrarian to everything else that's on the market. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. I love <laughs> Grant Cardone. He, uh, yes, he's just very real. He just doesn't care about what others think. He's just spouting out his thoughts and doesn't really care if you agree or disagree with him, and he's just being himself. Absolutely. Well, I guess being close to 60 years old and being worth half a billion dollars probably helps remove any self-confidence issues you might have. Yeah, absolutely. He so, knows what he's doing, so. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, the numbers do seem to show that he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. So what are some of the things you're working on right now? Where do you want to take books takeaway in the future? So right now, all I'm really kind of focusing on is just learning video editing. So I'm just starting off with cutting my videos to make it seem like it's more natural as opposed to, you know, just, I, I guess, cutting out the, you knows, ums, or so on and so forth. I'm trying to cut those out. After, I'll possibly consider having an intro or outro or going into podcast or converting into podcast or going into other uh, streams. But right now, it's just I want to focus on creating a better experience on a per episode basis. And, you know, I know for myself, I'm not going to get there maybe next year or maybe in two years. But more or less for myself, I'm just going every day. I'm just trying to improve it bit by bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's my ultimate goal. As long as I get better on each video that I put out, then I'm winning. So that's all about consistency, about always making small improvements. I like that. Yes, yes. I'm a big believer in small, gradual improvements. Now, the thing is, if I set goals too high, it might, for myself, anyways, I mean, everyone's different, but for myself, I'll feel like it's too much. So I'll 
get discouraged. And if I get discouraged, then it's not going to go anywhere. So the way that I like to look at it is, did I do something that was better today than it was the previous time? That makes perfect sense. Absolutely. So talking about the show, I'm kind of curious about all the, the bad things that have happened. I always like to talk a little bit about the failures. Has you had any of the interviews that just completely flopped or your technology crashed or anything, any type of setback you had while doing the show? Luckily, no, actually. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, sometimes when I'm having the interview with the authors, though, sometimes the internet connection will just kind of dip in and out. So the connection or the quality, the video quality, either on my end or the other person's end will cut in and out. Mm -hmm. So, but other than that, no, I've never really had any problems, fortunately. And I'm just going to knock on wood that it doesn't happen in the future. I guess it's because myself, I prepare or I try my best to control whatever it is that I can control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, anything else, it's it's out of my control. So... Fair enough. So what do you think about failure when people make mistakes or they fall down? What's your opinion on failing? The word failure, in my opinion, is just not achieving what your desired outcome was. Now, a failure is only a fail if you quit entirely. So that's my definition of failure. But if you did something and you didn't get a desired outcome, but you say, you know what, I'm going to try again or try a different approach. Or, you know, maybe I haven't looked at it from this angle. You know, as long as you just keep trying, then whatever your action was that didn't work out, then I don't really consider that a failure. It was just something that you didn't plan on happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So once again, it goes back to stepping stones. Yes, yes, exactly. So you mentioned that you are currently working as a teacher in South Korea. What do you teach? So before I was an elementary school teacher, but now I'm currently teaching ESL. It's something that I'm experimenting with. I've always enjoyed teaching English as a second language, as an elementary school teacher. And so that's what I'm doing now. So I'm teaching kids and adults English as a second or third or as a foreign language. So mm -hmm. it's something that I really enjoy. And who knows if I'll continue on with it. But yeah, for now, it, it's something that I really like. Because you have a background as a teacher, right? You're not someone who's gone, taken a gap year and is doing teaching as a second language as kind of a part-time thing. That's correct. So in Canada, I actually became a elementary school teacher. I went to teacher's college for that. So yeah, in, in Ontario, I'm a licensed elementary school teacher. Because I think that's a, a big difference that people have to understand, which I think there's nothing wrong with teaching English as a second language, opposed to dedicating yourself to education is uh, very different things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's something that I'm interested in and just something that I'm kind of passionate about, just helping others learn or just being able to see them grasp the concept of whatever it is that I'm teaching or just being able to formulate a sentence that's the most rewarding part of it. That's excellent. I'm glad to hear that. And I've been to Korea, God, 60 times, 70 times, something like that. Oh, wow. I know that South Koreans are massively focused on education. So I, I can see why someone with your skill would be so valuable there. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I want to change focuses a little bit because I know me and you, like offline, have talked quite a bit about investing. And you read a lot of similar things, but we have slightly different outlooks when it comes to investing. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain a little bit your philosophy on investing? So for myself, I like income, but not from bonds. I like income from equities. So I'll look for stocks that pay dividends. And specifically, uh, right now, what I'm looking at are Canadian banks. And I've got many reasons for that. But that's somewhat my investing style. One of the books that I read that influenced me the most on that was, it's called Get Rich with Dividends by Mark Lichtenfeld. And I actually interviewed him. And yeah, his book is somewhat the book that inspired me to look for equities or stocks that pay out dividends. And so it was that, along with Robert Kiyosaki's idea of finding income-producing assets, along with Grant Cardone saying, you know, you want to look for things that produce income. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was just a mix of all these other investors saying, you know what, the best thing that you want is income. And for myself, because I live in South Korea, doing real estate is kind of difficult for me to find a deal in Canada and, you know, have to fly back and forth so on and so forth. Well, to really understand the market and find a good deal, Mm -hmm, I'd mm -hmm. have to be there for some time or analyze it. And so that's not really doable for myself. I wouldn't want to do real estate in South Korea because I don't see myself here for a long time frame. How long have you been in Korea for so far? On and off for five years. For five years, yeah. And you were in China before that, is that correct? That is correct. You were in, I'm, I'm trying to remember back to like our 100 different conversations. You were outside of Hong Kong, but on the mainland, weren't you? That's correct. I was in Guang, Guangzhou. And how did you like it? I already know the answer to this, but. I'm oh, oh <laughs> my goodness. I, uh, I, to be honest, I hated it. Yeah, I know. Just, just me. I mean, everyone is different. I met some wonderful people there. They loved it. Just my experience was not the most pleasant that's fair enough. I like putting you on the spot a little bit there. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, thanks. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need this podcast to be completely shiny and everything perfect. If, if you don't like something, I want to hear about it. I want to hear, I hated it. I want strong emotions, you know? <laughs> yeah, the juicy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you have to admit, China is just a powerhouse these days. And even when they talk about slowing economy in the China market, it's still absolutely crazy over there. Yeah, it is. For sure. Their economy is probably going to continue growing faster than any developed country. I mean, then again, it's not a developed country, so you can't compare. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, you're you're right. Their their economy is still continuing to grow. Not as fast as before, but it's... Yeah, but when they talk about not as fast before, it's like they're still twice as fast as the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like a European country would kill for this, you know? Yeah, it's not four times as fast. Uh, it's just three times fast now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's brilliant. So you've been in Korea for a few years now, but you said you're probably not going to stay long term. Do you think you will head back to Canada or do you think you guys will go somewhere else overseas? It's tough to say at the moment, but for myself, possibly, I mean, I've talked to my wife about it and she said, or her and I agreed on whether that's actually the case, that we'll we would go to Canada if 
we have kids or when we have kids or when they're ready to go to school, because we think that for kids to go to school or kindergarten in Canada, it's probably the better option between Korea and Canada. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's better in general, it's just better for us, right? So yeah, that's why I don't want to do real estate in Korea because it's something long-term or I think real estate, it's going to be something that you want to do for long-term. You don't want to buy something and hold it for just a couple of years and flip. Mm-hmm. I mean, it works for some people, but for myself, I, I can't read Korean, so I don't know the ins and outs mm-hmm. of what's good. Yeah, or I contractual can't law really, or anything like that. Exactly, exactly. So I can't really follow what is happening in the market in Korea. I mean, I can, but there's all these little intricacies that I don't really understand. And so that's definitely going to hinder my chances. So having said that, because those are very kind of location dependent, I was thinking, you know what, right now I'm kind of in flux. What can I invest my money in? That's not really location dependent. And so I thought of, Mm -hmm. you know, stocks, bonds, equities. So I know that you're very concentrated on the banking sector Mm -hmm. in Canada. What do you think of the cryptocurrencies that are coming in? Do you think this is going to shake up the banking sector a lot or is this something we don't need to worry about? It's tough. I see both sides of the argument. So argue for it and argue against it. I'm curious. Okay, so the argument, I guess, for banks is that if everyone had their money in cryptocurrency, the economy wouldn't grow. Because if you just stashed your money, then no economy is going to grow because the way the banking system works is people give money to the banks and the banks can then lend it out to individuals, corporations, so on and so forth. Right. So that's pretty much how like the economy grows. But if everyone's holding it in crypto and everyone's doing peer to peer transactions, yes, you can create value between each other, but not to the same sort of scale, mm-hmm. because not to say the person you're dealing with isn't trustworthy, but think about all these people who might get scammed saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'm somewhat legitimate. You give me your money. I'll pay you interest on it. You know, like example, you got some Bernie Madoff people, mm-hmm. right? So all these people who are posing as legitimate figures or uh, people who are saying, just give me your money and then I'll pay you a certain interest. And then one day they walk away. You can't trace that, right? Like Because cryptocurrency, it's so secure that it's difficult to find out who took the money or what happened to it. Mm-hmm. The anonymity is kind of a double-edged sword there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I think banks will still be around. But I think crypto has its place in that we don't need middlemen, right? So that's the whole idea behind crypto. It's example, if you want to send money from South Korea to Canada, you have to go through a financial institution. But even then, they're going through SWIFT or other systems, intermediaries, and they get a chunk of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A lot of people think that if you just take money and you take it from one bank account, you transfer it to another account, it goes direct. Actually, there's so many steps in between. Yes. And everybody takes their little bite of the pie. Yes. And it adds up at the end. Yes. So I understand that argument. So example, uh, from person to business, if you're using a credit card, you have to go through, example, Visa or Amex or 
or whatever. And even then, there there might be some other mm-hmm. systems that they have that we don't even know about, right? So if I was buying something from you, for example, and I used my credit card or debit card, then I have to go through the bank, and then from the bank, it's probably to your bank, and then from your bank to you, right? So that's mm-hmm. like all these extra transactions. But crypto, it allows me to pay you directly as if it's cash. So with the cryptocurrencies, is there any that you're watching out for at the moment? Because I know with the banking sector that Ripple is going to be a bank to bank. I'm curious if you've looked into that at all. To be honest, I really don't know much about Ripple. For myself, the only two that I'm looking out for are Ethereum and Bitcoin, obviously, the big one. So using it more as a store of value, like Bitcoin as a store of value. Well, it's, it's more speculative. For myself, the way I approach it is I'm going to put in X amount a month, and every day I will just dollar cost average. And the, my mindset is however much I buy or however much I've bought, I, I, I don't even consider that as like an investment or a store of value. I just see it as it's kind of like Vegas. You know, mm. I'm putting my money in. If I lose it, then it's gone. Like, I don't care. Because Bitcoin, I don't know if you checked today, but it is on an absolute tear. Again. It is. It is. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. Every time I open the internet and check the prices of these cryptos, it's just mind-boggling with the volatility and the swings in price. Yes, absolutely. I didn't know exactly how you feel. When I first started, I was <laughs> hanging on my seat when I saw the dips and when I saw the moon. <laughs> so what percentage of your portfolio do you keep in crypto and what percentage goes into the, the Canadian banks? Oh man, definitely less than 2%. Oh, so you're really on the sidelines still about this one. Yeah, just because for myself, I don't exactly know the future. I mean, you have some very smart people saying it's going to bust, but you also have other smart people who are saying it's not going to be a bust. Yeah, who's saying it's the future, so it's so hard to tell. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, for myself, I'm thinking, you know, fine, you can potentially make money, but you can also just go bankrupt with it, lose everything. Yeah. So, you know, for myself, if I lost 2% of my net worth, it's, you know, it's so immaterial that it's, you won't even feel it. Exactly. Yeah. But if you get a thousand percent gain on your 2%, it's a nice return. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, I mean, there's a lot of upside, but a hundred percent downside, right? So, mm-hmm. but the way I look at it is I wouldn't even consider it an investment. It's just more of speculative and kind of like gambling. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's talk about Korea again. I'm curious because if other expats, if they wanted to move overseas or people wanted to travel and do business, do you think Korea is a good place to set up shop? Personally, I don't think so compared to other countries. I've heard from my friend who's kind of a a semi-digital nomad who does live in Korea and he travels quite a bit. He says that Thailand, specifically, I think it was Chiang Mai or Phuket, I think Chiang Mai, Mm-hmm. He says a lot of digital nomads live there. They have a lot of workspaces set up for digital nomads. In Korea, I can see why Chiang Mai would be the better place. The weather's nicer. In Korea, the winters are brutal. What's the cost of living like in somewhere like Seoul? Oh, it's pretty expensive. Yeah, so that's another reason. Cost of living is pretty expensive in Seoul. 
So if someone wanted to get an idea of the percent that they would earn in a job that would go towards the cost of living, is it half-half or is it one quarter? Where would it fit? It depends on the job, I guess. Let's just say that I think Korea's GDP per capita is what, like 35,000 US dollars a person? Okay. Something like that. So let's just say your average income is 35,000 US dollars, right? So I would say if you're living in Seoul, depending on where you live, you're probably looking at more than possibly 50%, 60 maybe. Yeah, that, that's definitely up on the high side then. Yeah. So, I mean, rent is pretty expensive, relatively speaking to how much the average person would make. That makes sense. That makes sense. I just always come to Korea to visit friends and do a little bit of business, but I've never lived there myself. But for me, it's a beautiful place and the food is spectacular and there's so many incredible people there. But yeah, I haven't really tried to set up business there or live full time. So this is very interesting for me. Well, I mean, I do know that the entrepreneurship or expat entrepreneurship community is somewhat growing, but to say it's at the same scale or same level as it is in Chiang Mai, based on what my friend said, yeah, there's no comparison. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So have you ever thought about living in other countries? Are there any other dream countries that you really want to check out? Well, Japan would be kind of interesting. Japan, to live in Japan for a little bit, just to experience it. I would say possibly Chiang Mai as well, just as my friend has said. Yeah, like we just highlighted there. Yeah. So maybe Thailand, maybe Japan. And I would like to check out living in Hong Kong. My parents are from there. So just to live in Hong Kong, just for a little bit, just to see what it's like. I'd be interested in that. I went to Hong Kong and it was just unbelievable. I was blown away by the city. I spent about four days there just running around sightseeing and eating amazing food. And just what an incredible, incredible place. Nice. I could definitely see living there. It's just the cost of living, I think, is just so huge. Yeah, absolutely. It's up there in terms of cost of living. And coming from Canada, like me and you both, I like a little bit of space. So I live out in the middle of the desert in the UAE at the moment. My apartment is just absolutely massive. 13, 14 foot ceilings, huge, huge place. I think if I was in downtown Hong Kong, I'd probably only be able to afford, you know, a shoebox type of apartment. <laughs> yeah, relatively speaking, space in Hong Kong is so scarce. And that's exactly why it's so expensive. So let me change topics again. I'm kind of curious, in all of the books that you read, is there any recurring theme you see with these successful people? Anything that you've gleaned from reading this many books? Yeah, so I'm actually rereading Onward by Howard Schultz. And one thing I just kind of realized is all of these really successful people, I'm talking billionaire level. I mean, obviously, I don't know for sure. I can't say with certainty, but it's just a hunch. No, I want to hear your opinion. Tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I think is that they don't go into doing whatever it is that they're doing for the money. They want to change or impact the world greatly. So Howard Schultz is, you know, in the beginning, he says, my vision or my goal is to change the way coffee is. He says, you know, prior to 1980, coffee was just terrible. It was just like this instant mix or it just came out of this vending machine. It was just really bad. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what? Enough is enough. I want to change the world where coffee is actually this great experience. So he went to Italy and he just had this really good experience in Italy. 
And he wanted to bring that back to America. And he's like, you know what? I want everyone to have this same sort of feeling. And I think from that passion or from that vision of wanting to change the world in his or in his way, that's how he became so successful. He's just, he had this vision, this passion, and he says, let's do it every day. I want to share my passion of good coffee and just the great experience with coffee and let's go out and do it. So that's with Starbucks. I read Phil Knight's memoir on how he created Nike. So the book is called Shoe Dog. And yeah, he, he had this idea of importing these good shoes from Japan. And it just started from there. He's like, oh man, these are awesome shoes. I think everyone should have them. And that's kind of his idea. I, I want people to wear good shoes for cheap. So identifying a problem in the marketplace and then coming in and doing it at the highest quality level. Yeah, absolutely. And just being relentless at following their passion or following their dream or just whatever it is that they have for the world, they're just out to go get it. Very interesting. I haven't read either of those books, so I'm going to add them to my list now, I think. So what are some of the skills that you think are going to be applicable going forwards for the next generation? What should people be focusing on learning? I think the next generation should learn to learn by themselves. So what I mean by that is it seems that kids or students, they just want the answers, right? So they just want something quick, easy here. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But I think what they should kind of focus on is okay, so this is what I'm learning in school. Yeah, that's all good and stuff, but how can I go out and learn on my own? So how can I think critically? How can I start asking more questions? In school, they don't really get you to think like that. Some schools are changing now, but more or less, it's not the same. They just kind of spoon feed you answers, asking you these questions that could be found on the internet. Mm -hmm. That's good, but let's go a, a little bit deeper with that information. It's like, okay, so I have this information, now so what? So I think kids, in terms of the skills that they need, is researching, questioning, and thinking critically. I think that's an interesting point you bring up because in today's day and age, you can literally type in anything into Google and get the answer instantly. But the problem is, if you don't know how to ask the right question, you're not going to get the answer that you're searching for. So having everything at your fingertips doesn't really do you any good if you can't have that critical thinking, like you said, and ask better questions. Yeah, I agree. And because you can use Google to find the answer on anything, it's, you know, just start coming up with these questions. Start going out and, you know, any sort of question you have in your mind, just Google it. I mean, it could be something as small as what does this word mean, right? Or mm -hmm. what does that word mean? I mean, those are very basic level questions, but... Get in the habit of actually going on Google and looking up your question, because then you'll start realizing that Google will have more answers to the questions, and then that starts building momentum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like going down the rabbit hole. Sometimes it'll be four o'clock in the morning, and I'll still be stuck on Google. Yeah. Like, how to build your own nuclear power plant. And it's like 4 a.m. And I'm like, why am I reading this? But it's incredible. One question can lead into another question, can lead into another question, and it just goes on forever. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I have a friend. He, he basically, he was able to turn $10,000 into 105 through crypto. 
Okay. And I'll explain how or the backstory behind that. Basically, he was unemployed, and then the idea of ISIS came along. He's like, oh, what is ISIS? And then he started researching ISIS and then how they were connected to certain organizations and how certain governments are funding them. And then that's how we found out about crypto and what the purpose of crypto is. And then he started learning more about crypto. And he's like, you know what? This is something that I think is going to turn out well. So then he put in 10000 And then in a couple of months, he, he turned that into 100 You know, He was 10x his money. That's incredible. So one question about politics, you could say, led him to a completely different area of interest, which he was able to monetize and 10x his returns. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I'm thinking for anyone, just get started and start asking questions on Google to get that sort of momentum started. And then you start realizing, okay, Google's here for me. And you know, sometimes it's not going to be easy. Sometimes you actually have to read what people say or look through numerous search pages. But more or less, as long as you get started mm -hmm. and you have that insatiable curiosity, it's also interesting when you start to learn anything about the algorithms for Google, you understand that usually page one, page two is going to have some really fantastic information on there because the way the program is set up is that it will base off of the amount of time that people will spend on there and it'll calibrate that there's real value to this, say, blog post or article. Yeah. So it sorts itself out. And even though there might be 900,000 entries under that key phrase, you can actually find what you're looking through within the first five minutes or so, you say. Yes, absolutely. So definitely use Google. Hey, guys, we will just take a quick break. So I want to remind you to go to expatmoneyshow.com to pick up your free special report called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. We have had some really good feedback with this. It's actually a project I've been working on for probably about four years now and been offering it to my subscribers. And I am constantly updating it with the best and the newest resources for people wanting to go abroad. It is really amazing. I'm really happy with the work that we've done. And it's really different than a lot of the other projects out there or special reports or ebooks or anything like that. And this is one of the main differences. It is highly curated, it is highly condensed. It is not 400, 500 pages long and talking about every single thing out there and every single little detail. Actually, that doesn't serve anyone. Your best bet is always to go with the really, really condensed information so that you can connect the dots, so you can understand what's happening and how things fit together. And that's exactly what this special report does. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can find it completely for free 100% free at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, enjoy, and let's jump back into the interview. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about how you can fall down that rabbit hole of Google and go on a completely different tangent. What are some skills that you do the opposite of? If you wanted to stay focused or you wanted to stay organized and not get distracted by Google or social media or anything like that, what skills or tips or tricks do you use? So I just finished rereading The One Thing by Gary Keller, and he actually talks about how there's such great power behind staying focused or what he calls the one thing. So he basically says you want to be focused on one thing at one time and you know you want to remove all sort of distractions because the idea of multitasking 
is actually a lie. We think, oh, I could be good at this and this at the same time. Mm-hmm. He says, no, you actually can't do them well at the same time. You actually do a pretty crappy job at doing both of them. So he says, focus on one thing at one time and then move on to the next thing. So I would say for yourself, anyone who, I guess, gets distracted by Facebook or social media, you know, for myself, I don't turn notifications on my phone because if I'm working on something, I don't want it to vibrate and kind of throw me off, right? So just turning off notifications on my phone, my computer. Another thing is if I'm reading, then I'll go away from my computer because I know if I'm near my computer, then I'll get distracted. So it's just I'll go somewhere else where it's out of sight. Where it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Same in my books. I have to put my phone on silent. I even leave it on the other side of the room. If I'm doing a project on the computer, I close down Facebook. I close down every extra window that I have so I can only have the one thing in front of me because otherwise every time something comes up, I follow it. You know, And at the end of a two-hour work session or three-hour work session, you look back and the amount you got done can be literally nothing. Yeah, clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy sometimes. Yeah, Facebook knows likes or those notifications where you have the numbers on it. They know you're going to click it. Mm, It scratches some type of itch in your brain. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's actually in the book, The Power of Habit, that Charles Duhigg wrote. He actually says the routine loop. So you have a cue, routine, and reward, right? So the cue is you see the number, and then the routine is you click it, and the reward is your brain releases dopamine because you see that all these people like your stuff and you you just feel so good. Yeah, so it lights up the reward centers in your brain. Exactly. And gives you a good feeling. It's unbelievable how smart some of these programs are. Yeah, and so that's exactly why people check their email all the time because, you know, they're maybe bored. So that's the cue. And then the routine is check email and the reward is I quote unquote feel productive because I checked my email and responded back to someone. Yeah, I check my email about 400 times a day. So (laughs) I'm not perfect by any means. I ask these questions because these are things that I'm trying to get a handle on myself, distraction and being more focused. So that's some good information. Well, that's what I've learned from all these other people. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, when you talk about the numbers and when you click, I think that's how certain games, now I never played them, but things like Candy Crush became so so absolutely massive and hundreds of millions of dollars a year on such simple games because they worked on this type of psychology and the rewards that release this dopamine, as you said. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if they're dropping millions of dollars testing, I'm sure they've perfected the formula on how to get people engaged. So let me ask you, so we've talked a lot about books and reading as a form of studying. Do you take courses or coaching or mentoring or any other type of medium you use to learn? Yeah, I take online programs. So I've taken programs from Jim Quick, Brendan Burchard, Grant Cardone, T. Harv Ecker. What do you think of him? I tried to read one of his books and I just, I was banging my head against the wall. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the secrets to the millionaire mind? Yeah, that's it. Uh, Okay. I actually really like that book. That's what got me to take his course. For myself, I think he's got some valuable information. I just think he got in before others, right? So I'm sure there's many business people out there who are even more successful than him, but he's just the first one to go out and teach it. If you look at 
the personal development or the online courses, only now are there starting to be more influencers. Back then, there weren't so many. So I guess it was a good time for him because there weren't as many people doing it or teaching whatever it is that they knew about business. So I think he just got on and said, okay, I'm going to go do it. And yeah, so I think that's why he became popular. Because he had a bit of a head start on others, maybe. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Because I just started learning a little bit about him at the beginning of the year because the name is so famous. And when I started reading some of his stuff, I found it challenging. But some of the other names you mentioned, like Brendan Bouchard, I just love him. I think he's just so brilliant. Yeah. I took his High Performance Academy program online, and it was good. He gave some really great advice. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really hard to follow through with everything he says. But I mean, the way I see it is as long as you pick out maybe two, three, four, you know, just something that's life changing. It doesn't have to be many. As long as you maybe pick out one thing from whatever you're learning and you're moving forward, you know, that's a win. Absolutely. So how much do you usually spend on personal development every year? Possibly maybe two, three thousand. Okay. And do you think you'll continue with that in 2018 or do you think you'll do more or do you think you'll be spending less? It's tough. I mean, I only take courses that I feel that it's something I've never learned before. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of tough because, you know, once I've taken a course from someone, I get a feel for what they're like and for some of their things that they have to say. It's it's a challenge. I mean, right now I'm starting to focus more on books. Mm-hmm. I think it's the kind of the biggest bang for your buck. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's incredible. Someone's entire life work yeah, that they yeah, spent exactly. years writing is condensed into 300 pages and you go on Amazon and it's like 12 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Yeah, so personally, I think books are your biggest bang for your buck as long as you actually follow through with their advice. Mm-hmm. Right. Otherwise, it's just entertainment. The, with the online courses, what I've noticed is these people are they're experts because they read a lot. So they read a lot and then they compile the information and then they create a course on whatever it is. Yeah, so they work as a filter for other people. Exactly. So all these people are just kind of a filter of the good content and then they spout it out. I'm not saying their stuff isn't original. Some of the things from the courses I've taken, example, Jim Quick, his stuff, I wouldn't have been able to find anywhere else. But mm-hmm. in terms of Brendan Burchard, after I took his course and after I started reading more, I then realized, okay, he got all that information from various books. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you're someone who doesn't read, then yeah, courses are probably better, depending. I mean, each course has its purpose. And if it's something very specific on a very specific skill, then taking the course is probably a good idea. Example, like Photoshop. Or video editing, going back to what we were just saying. Exactly. Yes, so something that you're actually doing, creating something, then I would take a course online or example, like how to make coffee, right? Mm -hmm. I would probably take a course on that as opposed to reading it from a book. Yeah, so a visual medium works probably a little bit better with certain type of skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. But with personal development, it's a little bit different, a little bit harder because like I said, if you're a person who is able to take what someone's saying and actually execute. So if you're reading a book and you go out and execute, then let's say a book's 20 bucks, 
and you do everything that person says from that book, depending on the book, you're going to get a bigger bang for your buck from that 20 bucks than you would from a course, in my opinion. I think sometimes I take some of the online video courses as well, just to change things up. Because I'm reading, you know, 10 books or eight books every single month, it's kind of fun to get information in a different format sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. People learn differently. And, you know, sometimes there's a social community or like they they create a community and then you can interact with other students. You know, some people learn that way. Mm -hmm. Brendan Bouchard definitely has that. His following and his community when you're going through his videos is just unbelievable. Yeah. In his private members area, you'll you'll watch one of his videos, you'll scroll down and there'll be 200 comments on it or something. Yeah, exactly. And so just interacting with other members, you know, some people like that. Um, for myself, some of it I do like, but then it just takes away from my time to go back and read what others have to say. So it's... <laughs> yeah, once again, falling down that rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, <laughs> I get too distracted from things like that. It's like, oh, what did this person say? Or what did that person say? Hmm. And then somehow that will lead to something else that's kind of not pertinent to what you're supposed to be doing. Very good. Very good. That's really interesting. I love these types of topics because my goal for 2018 is to actually spend as much money on courses and personal development as I possibly can. I'm just going to go completely the opposite way opposed to saving money and trying to find good deals or cheaper courses, I'm actually going to just spend as much as humanly possible and see what happens at the end of the year. So I'll be going to the States for a couple of events, hopefully Grant Cardone's event, meet Tony Robbins, meet Brendan Bouchard, get front row seats and just spare no expense on education for myself. No, that's, that's the way to do it. There's no greater investment than in yourself. Absolutely. I think that's a theme that I will continue to bring up with all of my guests on here and show that if you take a little bit of your income and put it back into yourself, you're not actually spending money, you're multiplying your money. Yeah, for sure. It works, maybe not immediately, maybe it will, maybe not, but more or less, you will see that come back. And I think that brings us back to the point that you made earlier in the show, where it can be these small incremental changes, but while you're doing them day by day, at the end of six months or a year or two years, you're able to accomplish a huge amount. Yeah, absolutely. There there are many books on that. Uh, The Compound Effect is an example of a book that talks about it. Yeah, I've read that one. Who's the author of that? I've already forgotten. Darren Hardy. Darren Hardy. Yeah, I read that a couple of months ago. It was a good book, actually. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. And the other one, Robert Maurer talks about the Kaizen way, more or less kind of like the one thing, you know, you just focus on doing one thing, getting good at it, and then just letting that grow into something else. So it's a compound effect in the sense that you get good at it or you keep adding on to it, right? So it's one thing I'm getting good at. Okay. What's another thing that I can get better at? Mm-hmm. What's another skill set you can add to it that's complementary? Exactly, exactly. So more or less over time, you're going to grow. One of the other good learning techniques that I picked up from Russell Brunson is he says that he'll just drop everything else and just completely geek out on one subject for like one week, two weeks, three weeks. He'll get every single book on the subject. He'll watch all the videos. He won't talk about anything else. He won't look at anything else. It'll just be that one subject. And within you know less than a month, he can take his knowledge base from basically zero to maybe not expert level, but really, really high level and to just saturate himself. So that's what I'm starting to do with some different fields. And it's a really interesting theory. I've never 
tried this before, but I'm playing with it. It's neat. Yeah, there's a book. It's called How to Learn Anything Fast in 20 Hours by Josh Kaufman. He's the author of another book called MBA in a Box. But anyways, he talks about what you want to focus on is Pareto principle or Pareto... Yeah, Pareto's law, the 80-20. Yeah, Pareto's law. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so he says you want to focus on that first and then just get anything and everything you can and then just spend a lot of time immersing yourself in the 80% from that 20%. That makes perfect sense. So we've mentioned a lot of books today. I'm going to make sure that I put all the links to these books that Ryan's mentioned in the show notes for everyone to find. Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. Such a wealth of knowledge, so many good recommendations here. If people want to get a hold of you or they want to check out your channel on YouTube, where should we send them? Check out Books Takeaway. So Books and Takeaway. So it's just one word. And yeah, you can find my YouTube channel there or you can just feel free to email me at bookstakeaway at gmail.com. Perfect. Or if you want, you can... Go to my Facebook page. It's just, again, facebook.com slash books takeaway. Excellent. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'll let you get back to work and we'll talk again soon, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why. We are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad. There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast, but we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day, go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.